The Real Chemistry Podcast connects the dots between our guests and the innovative work they do to show up and shape the future of healthcare. Why? So you, the listener, are encouraged to join us on our relentless pursuit to make the world a healthier place for all. Some may call it idealism. We call it real chemistry. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of Real Chemistry and host of the Real Chemistry Podcast. And today we are coming to you live from the Health Conference. That's HLTH for any of you who have not heard about it. Uh, it's a great convening of the players across the healthcare ecosystem, payer, provider, VC, PE, life sciences, digital health, med device. And uh, it's it's an amazing convening in Las Vegas. It sort of goes by coastal. And today, uh, our first guest that we're going to be interviewing is a gentleman named Dr. Harpreet Sood. He is the VP of Primary Care and Clinical Partnerships at a company called Huma. Uh, during the podcast, you'll hear a little bit about Huma and what they do. Uh, we'll talk about Huma's evolution, where they have been heavily based in the UK, and they are now spreading out into the US as well as other uh, geographies. We'll talk a little bit about sort of how they're differentiated in the market of digital health companies. There are so many of them. We saw a lot of them here at Health, um, but he drills a little bit into some of their uh, unique value proposition and how they differentiate. And then we'll talk a little bit about some of the biggest opportunities in the space right now. So with that, uh, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, sit down and enjoy. All right, Harpreet, we are sitting here at the Health Conference, and uh, what an amazing sort of event. Great to be back live. Um, I want to get to know a little bit about you, and then we're going to talk more about your company, Huma, which is doing some amazing things in the digital health space. So let's start by talking about your role, which I mentioned up front, and you are the VP of Primary Care and Clinical Partnerships at Huma. So why don't we start with how did you get into this thing called the healthcare space? And then we'll talk about the company and then we'll talk about what a day in the life looks like for you. Thanks, Aaron. And uh, great to be here. It's, you know, my first ever experience of uh, health, uh, but actually it's also my first ever experience of being here in, in Las Vegas. So both sorry those, for that. But. No, but, uh, but, you know, it's been quite an eye opener, but great to be here and, and uh, great to be chatting to you. Um, so look, I think for me, uh, my journey really started whilst I was at medical school where, you know, I was coming from a background of business and entrepreneurship and through that started being exposed to what it was called back then, health IT, uh, which was actually what the potential of health IT could be on the transformation across healthcare services. And over time that then evolved into becoming digital health, which is what a lot of the industry talks about today. And back at the time when I was spending more uh, time in this space, we were looking at things like access to patient records. How do we think about improving the administration side of things? How do we think about improving the enterprise side of things? And once I qualified and post-residency, I moved to the US uh, in Boston where I was at grad school and actually co-founded a startup then which was looking at uh, solving the problem of pediatric asthma adherence on incentivizing children and their parents to use inhalers in a timely manner, but also providing them with the education. And again, through that experience, it made me really, really uh, realize that actually technology has a really important role that can be played across healthcare. And through that work, and then through my work in the national policy sphere, I came across Humor, who had been, who's been around for now nearly 10 years, um, and they've been doing some tremendous work over the last decade or so. 
And in particularly, they've been focusing on two kind of key areas. One is around um, the importance of evidence, so generating a lot of evidence, and the second is on the importance of user centricity. But I'll come on to that a bit later. But that's kind of been my journey, and my current role then at Huma has been, okay, so we've got the tech, but actually, this is now beyond tech, which is actually how do we, like I said, transform healthcare. And so we see ourselves as a healthcare company. And on that basis, my job there is now to build the primary care proposition, but also some of our partnerships with uh, key stakeholders so that we can build that ecosystem and hopefully have the impact with patients and help clinicians do their job better. Well, thank you for sharing that. One of the things that we had the luck of because we're sitting here with some of your team, um, your president, Kaushik, came in and one of the things he mentioned um, that we hadn't talked about in the prep was your focus on things like COPD and asthma. So talk a little bit about like what was the, what was the impetus for going in that direction versus some of the other conditions? No, I think that's a great question. And, um, you know, we could have started with multiple areas, as you mentioned, right? But I think for us, it became the fact on, you know, where is the need today? And, and where are we seeing that actually there's some pain points? Because ultimately, if you want to have the technology that's solving problems, you need to understand what those problems are. And I think through our engagement with our stakeholders, through where we were getting traction, some of the more chronic diseases such as respiratory with COPD asthma and also cardiovascular with heart failure have been kind of our front runners at the moment. And I think for us in particular, that demonstrated the ability for us to scale up and move quickly with the deployments we did across COVID, that actually we want to be known for certain disease therapeutic areas and then build on that. But the history really for humor started with actually us focusing on rare diseases. And through that mechanism, how have we built on top of that and actually gone through various permutations and combinations, actually we are now disease agnostic, but starting with like you said, respiratory and cardiovascular in particular uh, first, and then we'll move into other areas. And tell us a little bit more about what Huma does, right? You touched on some of it, yeah. where the areas of focus, bringing the real world evidence into the mix. And I know we'll talk more about your value proposition, but let's talk about some of the blocking and yeah. tackling. And then we'll talk about your um, bringing of this amazing technology and approach to the United States from the UK. Yeah. So Huma is a... Uh, digital care and research company, essentially. And there's a three key verticals that we focus on. The first vertical being healthcare. So that includes hospital at home, uh, virtual wards, thinking about how do we provide that experience for patients from hospitals into their homes or in the community. Uh, and that also means that we're working with in the primary care space, so where we're doing annual reviews and more chronic disease management. So that's kind of the first vertical. The second vertical is on digital clinical trials. So that's again working with health providers, health systems, and with pharma to ensure that the experience for clinical trials is patient-centric. But more importantly, that we can identify and recruit a diverse selection of patients onto clinical trials. We know that's been a big challenge and that's been highlighted with the pandemic. And so we want to be a really important player in that, which is how do we make sure that the clinical trials and the adherence and the engagement we have is meaningful. And then the third vertical that we focus on is the software as a medical device. So the companion app, uh, which is very much working with big pharma or pharma in general and medtech companies that allow us to produce an app with a drug or a medtech device so that we can collect symptoms, vitals, track that, as well as collect patient reported outcome measures. Well, and that's, I think those are all logical choices. And one of the things that, as I just mentioned, I want to talk about is 
the way that gets manifested in one country, and I think if I read correctly, you're in 20 different countries, right? But your primary base is in the UK. You're now expanding into the US. Uh, you've been working on that diligently for the last year or so. Um, let's talk about sort of you know, what's been successful in the UK that you can apply here and then maybe looking a little bit about, I mean, we have this regulatory body and we have like different infrastructure that I think sometimes people forget how complicated that can be. Now, you both came out of NHS at one yeah. point in time, so you're well familiar with how much government can be a harm or a help to yeah. what that process looks like. So maybe talk a little bit about that whole process. So look, I mean, you know, when it comes to working with more mature health systems like we are um, in the US, you know, we see the problems being very similar, in fact, identical in most cases. And on that basis, because, um, going back to my previous point, because we've focused so much on generating evidence that demonstrates the improvement in outcomes and patient adherence that we have, we believe that the solution can be provided at scale in the US too. And of course, you know, the US uh, is massive and I'm realizing that, you know, spending five hours when I was crossing over just from going from East Coast to the uh, to Vegas. So it's, it's, it's a huge footprint. But I think from our perspective, you know, we want to work with certain uh, elements of the US uh, health system where we believe that we could translate what we've done in the UK very much here. So the first thing is on the evidence. The second is that we focus tremendously on user centricity and thinking about that patient experience. And that's why if you look at our adherence rates, they're above 90%, in some cases 95% in terms of patients engaging with our technology. And that again is because we spent a considerable amount of time focusing on what does this mean for the patient? How do we engage the patient? What are the behaviors that go into it? And really understanding that. Because if you don't understand that, you know that's where you get drop-offs and that's where you get challenges. And in the UK where we've seen real impressive traction is that we've got 1.8 million active users today on our platform. You know, we're in about 50% of the NHS sites uh, with our one of our solutions. And those really play out to our strengths. And we believe that we can, again, transport that here where we want to partner with established sites. We want to help them improve their experience, uh, patient experience, but also improve the efficiency and administration of health systems. And I think we can do a great job here. Well, it sounds like you're making some good progress. Uh, I want to ask you, this is a little bit of a loaded question because it will sound like I'm challenging you, but it's giving you an opportunity. You know, as we sit here at Health with literally hundreds, if not maybe thousands of digital health companies, right? So a lot of um, sameness that you have to work through. And there are a lot of them that do focus on this remote monitoring, decentralized clinical trials. What is it that makes you so different? Other than I like that human approach. Yeah. I think sometimes people forget that it's not just data. And it's not just doctors and it's not just health systems, but there is this middle piece, right, which are the human beings that go into it. But tell us a little bit about your key value propositions. Well, look, I think that that is definitely one of the Aaron. So look, I, I, I want to pick up on that because ultimately, you know, if this isn't solving the problem for the, the patient or, or the citizen that's going through it, then then we've completely missed a trick. And for that, that's the main focus here is that how do we enhance that and amplify that even more? So that user centricity, if I can go back to it again, is, is critical as well as the evidence, which I think you know, plays us to our strengths and, and distinguish us from the others. The second, I think, element is that um, you know, we see the convergence between care and research. You know, it's, we see it as the same paradigm. We see it as part of the same platform. And I know there's companies doing one or the other, but actually bringing us together in that and the convergence of that, I think, plays to our strength. Because again, the challenges are identification of patients, recruitment of patients. And for us, the platform's the same. So whether you're on the care side of it or the research side of it, I think that adds to our strength. 
Also, what we're seeing is that um, we're a very uh, modular approach, so disease agnostic, device agnostic, and we can work with multiple devices and multiple diseases. And I think because of that modular approach and because of the agnostic that we have with the disease and device also plays to our strengths. And then finally, I would say is that the partners we have and the partners we're currently working with are world-class partners, whether that's in pharma, whether that's we're working with the likes of Stanford and others that we've done trials with in the past. You know, we have proven time and time again that we are a trusted and preferred partner because of the quality and safety that we bring and because of the evidence that we have. And I think that for us would be the key distinguishing factors. Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity because, again, um, Kaushik mentioned this before that, you know, you you are talking to partners. And yeah. so if you had a wish list, you're already working with some of the really good ones. Uh, and you don't have to name names, although you can name names because this podcast does get out there in front of a lot of different key players. Do you have sort of a dream list of the type of partners that you'd like to continue to increase your footprint with? Or if there are specific partners that you'd like to get in with that you'd like to mention? Yeah, so look, you know, for us, the partnership will only work if the partners are aligned on the same values and have the same principles and behaviors that we want to showcase and demonstrate. You know, I think rather than being distracted by big names, we will be wanting to work together and co-produce. And I think that's our main ethos here is how do we find those people that want to work together, you know, want to engage their clinicians, they want to make sure that they produce stepwise, you know, game-changing innovations and make this everyone's business rather than just saying, well, solve this problem for us. Because ultimately, it, it's not unidirectional. It has to be bidirectional, and we need partners that are engaged. If I was going to drop names, because you've asked me, you know, if I can go back to my alma mater, you know, someone like a Brigham Women's would be ideal. You know, we'd love to work with organizations like that because they push innovation. Mayo Clinic's here. We would love to work with the Mayo. We've done Stanford, Intermounting. You know, all the ones that push innovation and are really demonstrating impact on their patients' lives other ones we would be interested in. But again, I'm sure many others would be as well. So we're open, but we're looking for those partners that are aligned on our values, aligned on the principles that we play in and want to have that impact on patient lives. Well, that's awesome. And if anybody wants to get in touch, we can put you in touch with uh, Harpreet and the team. Um, and Jen and I, by the way, are both uh, from Boston. I don't know if really? you knew this, right? So yeah, we know yeah, yeah. Brigham Women's and the other players well. Um, I do want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. And this connects to an interview that you did that I really liked. I was really intrigued by this. So you were talking about health inequities, particularly in clinical trials. But in this interview you did with IFC.org, you made a statement that seemingly, yeah, it's, it's sort of a no-brainer, but I think when you dig into it, people forget about it. And I want you to dig into your answer. So your statement was, we must make sure that the telehealth and digital health trend does not widen health inequities. And I think when you start to think about that, most people are like, well, how would it widen? It gives you know the ability to reach out to people in areas that maybe didn't have access to health, right? But there are some fundamental issues. And I think as we start to lean more into the digital health, we may accidentally be alienating some of these disadvantaged populations or um, you know, people that have less access to services. So tell us a little bit more about what you meant when you made that statement. Yeah, absolutely. And if I can use a a story that, that made me really think about that. So when the pandemic kicked off back in March uh, 2020, when we started noticing the big effects, um, I had a patient who came into, um, who, who, who I was consulting with. And um, I said to him, you know, isn't it great that you can now see me virtually? You know, we can do video call uh, and, you know, you don't need to come in. And he said to me, you know what, doc, not really. I've got limited access to data and I'd rather use that data to speak to my family in Bangladesh. And it made me realize there and then, actually, 
technology is not always for everyone. And if it is, we need to think about how does it impact them and their lives. So whether that's through digital literacy, thinking about actually do they have access to data and technologies, and do they have access to things that will allow them to use it effectively. And I think personally, if I can think, uh, say this from my clinical hat on, that many companies that I come across or industry players don't look at this through that lens. And that's where I think the challenge becomes that everyone's looking for a patient or a quick patient that they can get on their platform rather than thinking deeply, what does this mean for his or her life in terms of how they utilize this technology to the most effect. And again, that comes to users' centricity. If we look at our platforms, they're available in multiple languages because of the countries that we work in. And that's an important thing is that actually English is not the first language for everyone. We need to think about those that come from lots of different uh, backgrounds and countries. So, you know, people are saying this now, industry is saying this now, that actually through the pandemic, through the use of technologies, we're probably seeing a widening, uh, you know, but the data is still to be seen and, and where it's widening inequalities. But for me, as a clinician, this is a core focus is that how do we ensure that it's actually utilized by the most number of people, but it's not. And, and that will be where we'll see the game changing effects. Well, I love and I've found because I've interviewed a lot of people like Just Mega, who works for yeah. Verily. She's one of the founders, you know, that are practitioners. They're, so they're doctors, medical doctors. And I think, you know, not to pat Huma on the head too much, but it does work well when you have people that are literally on the front lines that can have those types of conversations because I think you forget about, I remember doing, um, having a conversation with someone from Lyft and they're like, people forget that like to go to a, uh, a doctor appointment, right. Or to go to the pharmacy to get it. Like if you don't have access to transportation or you work for 12, 14, 16 hours a day, it's not as easy as it might be for folks like us that sit around the table. Like why, you know, doesn't everyone have broadband? Doesn't everybody, you know, uh, tackle these things the same way? I do want to talk about sort of a bigger picture thing, right? And so, again, we're at this health conference. I know you all are, are seen as thought leaders in the space. What's your view of the biggest opportunity in digital health right now? And sort of how is it that you fit into that role and your innovation approach to that? Which, by the way, starts with your website. I, whoever did your website, I loved it did not feel like your traditional uh, digital health company, but tell us a little bit about that. Well, look, I think the industry is certainly um, going through its uh, growing pains. I think there's there's been, uh, you know, with the public markets and the capital markets, you know, that, that are going through tough economic times at the moment. That's clearly playing out in the in the industry as well. So we will certainly see. Um, you know, shifts in valuations, we'll see consolidations, we'll see many companies most likely disappear. Um, and, and I think that will play uh, to the strengths of companies like Humor because, you know, we are well capitalized, but at the same time, because of the scale and the presence we have, it allows us to work with those partners and create an ecosystem that helps and benefits the, the patients most. And I think that's where I'm starting to see some big shifts is that those point of care solutions, I think are gonna be far and few between. A lot of this will now come down to actually how are you integrated in the workflow? Where do you fit in the pathway? And actually how do you take on a significant chunk of the pathway so that for the clinician utilizing it, for the patient utilizing it, they don't feel like it's a big burden to them. Because you know we are seeing burnout, we're seeing clinical burnout, we're seeing a lot of people finding it more and more challenging with all the different technologies out there. And I think now it's time to think about the aggregation and the consolidation and that way we'll, we'll start seeing that. You know, for me, the big shift also where we're seeing is, um, you know, the care coming out of hospitals into the communities, 
into primary care, into people's homes. And that has really been established significantly over the last few years because many have realized actually it's not as difficult as we thought it would be. We've also realized that the incentives there are now for health systems, but also for clinicians and the patients to say, actually, why do I need to go to the hospital? And I think that is really going to fundamentally shift the industry. The whole concept of value-based care, I think, is going to really play its part over the next few years. And I'm excited to be part of that and see where it takes us. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and especially the point on care being delivered into the pharmacies, right, and places that meet people where they are. So we had a conversation, which I think people listening to this will have listened to in our last podcast with the CEO of Shorescripts. Oh, yeah. And, you know, with the dearth of nursing care, with the dearth of doctors and people dropping out and not being able to fill the bottom of the bucket. And I think it was a stat, something like the average tenure of the nurse, the frontline nurse now is 2.7 years, which given how much they do and how important their role is, is a little bit scary. Yeah. Um, So thinking about the fact that a pharmacist who really has always been that neighborhood healthcare professional that we got to know a whole lot better during the pandemic yeah. makes a lot of sense. No, and just on that, Aaron, if I could keep it up, I think the other thing that we've seen is that, um, uh, again, accelerated by the pandemic is this whole concept of task shifting, right? Where we've seen uh, clinicians uh, give up a lot of their tasks, which is then distributed across a multidisciplinary team. So in, in my practice, for example, you know, we're seeing the utilization of coaches, paramedics, physician associates, psychologists, nurses you mentioned, pharmacists. So there's a whole team now that's treating patients, whether it's in primary care or community or in home, rather than just being through a doctor or a nurse. And I think that is a fundamental shift, again, in terms of saying that healthcare is now being increasingly seen as a team sport. You know, it was always was, but even more so now, and technology can really help glue that together, which is that actually how do we then build around that uh, team and the technology that we use uh, with the patient in the center. So I love that. I've never heard someone say that as a team sport. And I think anyone listening, please pay attention to that because that is really a great concept because you can be that some of the parts is much greater than the individuals. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to one thing and then we'll end with a fun question. One of the things that I know I wanted to talk a little bit about is in your differentiation, you also have taken time to do something that I think not as many companies do as they probably could. And that is peer reviewed studies and statistics. And talk a little bit about sort of how did you choose to go down that path and what does that mean to your business, you know, on top of some of the other value propositions we talked about? Yeah, no, it is. And, um, you know, so we've had around 30 publications in peer review journals gone through the kind of the rigor of um, the quality that you need for publications. And, and the reason for that is, again, because, you know, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of resource, but it's fundamentally important because if you are looking to you know change clinical outcomes and improve patient lives you know frankly you need, you need that evidence right because if you don't the question for me as a clinician would be well what makes you think that you could fundamentally shift what you're proposing and that is again if you want to win the hearts and minds of the clinicians but also the patient has to be front and center for what you do and again i i think you know this has been a big problem in digital health space in general but also across healthcare that actually a lot of the interventions that we use how many of them are evidence-based and actually, there's a big challenge there. And, you know, just one study that we've, we did, for example, which was with Stanford and Bayer, you know, where we were uh, looking at um, patients with AF and on those on oral anticoagulations, you know, that was, again, gone through the process of getting approval, 
engaging patients and recruiting patients and demonstrating where the positive outcomes was. And we want to showcase stuff like that and we will continue focusing on things like that because like you say, yes, it's a distinguishing factor, but it also allows us to build trust, right? And the trust element of this is hugely critical because if, if patients can't trust us, clinicians can't trust us, health providers and payers can't trust us, then what's the point? Uh, because, you know, if it not, then you'll never be utilized. And that for us will always be a focus. Well, I think if we've learned anything in the last six years, right, that trust is such a critical piece, whether it comes to politics, whether it comes to health, whether it comes to who you do business with. Um, I love that. So we will end on a fun, maybe slightly more frivolous note, but the intention here is for people to get to know the person yeah. behind the interview. And so I've been asking this now for, I think, four plus years, and that is you're stranded on a proverbial deserted island. Uh, you can only bring one album with you if you remember what albums are, because I know we're all Spotify <laughs> and Pandora and Apple yeah, Music yeah, now. Uh, which album would you choose and why? So look, uh, I, you know, I, I do remember buying albums, uh, and the one album that I would take would be uh, REM, Automatic for the People. And actually, uh, on the way here, I've not listened to that album for a while, and thanks to Virgin Atlantic, who flew me over here, um, they had that on their, uh, uh, on their playlist, and it was fantastic to listen to the album on the way here. So that would be the one I would take. So I love that choice, uh, one of my favorites, and I actually, I think, just listened to that one for a similar reason not too long ago. And with that, we will wrap up. This is Aaron Stroud, the CMO of Real Chemistry and the host of the Real Chemistry Podcast. And you've had the pleasure of listening to Dr. Harpreet Sood, who's the VP of Primary Care and Clinical Partnerships at Huma. Harpreet, thank you so much and have a great rest of your health experience. Thank you, Aaron, and it's great to be talking to you. Want more episodes of the Real Chemistry Podcast? we post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Stitcher app, or iHeartRadio via the Health Podcast Network. Go to realchemistry.com for more info.